Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. Have you ever heard a Christmas message called Agent 007? Well, you're about to hear one. (laughs) Yes. Who's Agent 007? Good. I'm glad you didn't say Santa Claus. Yeah, Agent 007. I remember as a kid seeing uh, the... Sean Carney ones on TV. Yeah. Wasn't it, was he the first one? First James Bond? Who was before him? Anybody know? I don't know. Buddy the Elf, as ever said? <laughs> Robert somebody? I don't know. But anyway, on the, it's a fictional character, but I believe it's the British government when there is a, a, a serious danger, a terrorist or a dictator trying to bring destruction to a nation and to the world, they call on their secret agent, 007, to put a stop to the evil. What does that have to do with Christmas? Well, did you know that Jesus was God's secret agent? And Christmas is about the initiation and the completion of God's secret mission that his secret agent came to give you. And what is that secret mission? It is God's personal glory inside of you. God's secret mission was to send his son so that God the Father's glory would be in you strong today. So that your body would have his strength. So that your mind would have his wisdom so that your soul would have his peace, so that your bank account would have his provision. So we're going to talk about this secret mission, and I'm going to tell you why I call Jesus Agent 007. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your secret mission, for sending your Son so that your glory would be radiating from us today so that your glory would abide in us and be manifest in every area of our lives. Christ in us today, the guarantee of experiencing your glory each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Seven is actually a biblical number. And I, I don't know a lot about it. I've learned some things about it over the year, but I over the years, but Hebrew uh, is a numerical language as well as it, as it is a language of pictures. It's a, it's a language really very unique in the way that it communicates. But if you'll study the numbers of the Hebrew language, it's very fascinating. But we see in the scriptures seven being the number of God, being a number that communicates completeness and perfection. In Genesis, we see it in the very beginning, God in six days restored the earth, speaking of restoration. And on the seventh day, he rested. He created a seven-day cycle, which is still beneficial to us today, working six and resting one. 
this number seven, we, we, we see throughout the scriptures, the psalmist David, King David, he declared in Psalm 12, verse 6, he said, the, the Lord's words are flawless, like gold refined seven times. Agent 007, Jesus himself. It's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion. It's a number of a finished work. Jesus, Isaiah prophesied of seven qualities that Jesus would display in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, he says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Uncle Jesse. No. Who is Jesse? David's daddy, right? Uh, the stem of Jesse and a branch with a capital B shall grow out of his roots. Now, verse 2 lists seven characteristics, seven qualities of Agent 007. The first one is the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Number two, the spirit of wisdom will rest upon him. Number three, the spirit of understanding will rest upon him. Number four, the spirit of counsel will rest upon him. Number five, the spirit of might will rest upon him. Number six, the spirit of knowledge will rest upon him. And number seven, and the fear of the Lord will be seen upon him. What is the fear of the Lord? An awesome reverence and conviction that he is who he says he is. When the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about you uh, ducking your head, afraid that he's going to hurt you. It's talking about you fully embracing the reality of him. Jesus embodied this reverence. As he uh, lived his life even as a child, his own parents didn't understand it at some point. But he, he cultivated an awareness of God his Father. He cultivated an awe-inspiring wonder of the God of heaven and earth. And then we see that Jesus, even on the cross, made seven statements before he gave his last breath. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Statement number one. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, he said, Truly I say to you, to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Statement number three, as he looked at his mom and he looked at his disciple John, he said, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Statement number four, in Matthew 27, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the very moment that Jesus... Jesus was made sin on the cross. And that is the attitude of sin. It thinks that God has forsaken him, but God hasn't, right? We see Jesus become sin on that cross. And statement number, uh, what did I say? One, two, three, four. I'm sorry. Statement number five is I thirst in John 19, 28. Those who come to him will never thirst. How could Jesus thirst? He became sin. Sin will make you thirsty. Sin will give you dry mouth. When I used to be bound by alcohol, I'd w wake up the next morning 
And there, there's, I don't know what we call it, a cotton mouth or something. It's like you had pins in your mouth. It felt like, like your, your mouth was brittle and just like going to fall, like the Bumble's teeth on Rudolph when his, his teeth get pulled out, you know. I thirst, he said, another identification with sin. Uh, statement number six, it is finished, he said. Number of completion. Statement number seven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We see this number seven in the life of Jesus. We see it all the way beginning back in Genesis. It is the number of completion and perfection. It is a number of exoneration and healing. In Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 and 2, and verse 12, we learn that on every seventh year, the Israelites were to cancel all the debts they made or had with each other. Every seventh year, the Israelites were to cancel all the debts they had made with each other and free their slaves. And seven times seven years, every seven of seven years was the year of Jubilee. Which, was, which is was even more glorious. And Jesus initiated the ultimate jubilee when he came through his ministry. He is our jubilee. He is the canceller of our debts. He is the uh, emancipation proclamation of our lives. We've been emancipated and freed from sin forever. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Peter asked Jesus, Agent 007, he says, how many times uh, are we to forgive each other? And Jesus replies, 70 times 7. It's a number of healing, exoneration, completeness, and perfection. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 and verse 14, prophet Elisha instructed Naaman the leper to bathe in the Jordan River seven times to be healed. Jesus is our seven. Jesus is our healing. Jesus is our restoration. Jesus is our completion. Jesus is our exoneration. The number seven speaks of the fulfillment of God's promises. In Hebrew, this is interesting, the Hebrew word for swearing an oath, I don't know how to say this, Shaba, S-H-A-B-A in English, and the Hebrew word for seven, Sheba, S-H-E-B-A, both derive from the Hebrew word meaning satisfaction or fulfillness, Saba. Jesus is our seven, Right? He's the guarantee of experiencing God every day of our lives. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 20, God promised Joshua that he would bring down the fortified walls of Jericho if Joshua and his army would march around the city once for six days and on the seventh day, seven times, with seven priests blowing seven trumpets. After Joshua followed the Lord's command 
the fortified walls of this military stronghold came tumbling down just as the Lord promised. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. No matter what promise it is you read from Genesis to Revelation, if it's a promise God made, it's for you and it's yes and it's amen right now because of Jesus. That's why I call him Agent 007. All right? Now, what, what was so secret about this mission? Why was it a secret mission? Why was he a secret agent? Who was it a secret from? If Satan would have understood what God was doing through his son, Satan would have never crucified Jesus. He would have left him alone. Satan, in his wildest dreams, never imagined that if he would kill the Son of Man, that this Son would become our sin and descend to hell on our behalf and endure the full wrath of God, but be raised up on the third day and be born from the dead, but that he would be only the firstborn from among the dead, and that anyone who would put their faith in him would also be reborn and do the same things that Jesus did. If he would have known that, he would have, he would have stayed away from Jesus. Because one Jesus is better than millions, right? Every one of you is a Jesus. There a Jesus, there a Jesus, there a Jesus, everywhere a Jesus. Come on. Let's review what God did on this Christmas service, the, the Sunday before Christmas. Let's understand this mission. You can't celebrate Christmas as it should be celebrated if you don't understand why Jesus came. So God, perfect love, decided to make man in his own image, and boy, did he do it. In fact, they criticized Jesus. I might get in trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyway because Jesus said it. They criticized Jesus for calling himself the Son of God, and it's in John chapter 10. And he said, does not your law say that you are God's? And you're mad at me because I say I'm the son of God? What was he quoting? Psalm 82. I encourage you to read Psalm 82. It says God judges in in the counsel of the mighty. That's you and me. He says, I have said that you are God's, that you are children of the Most High. Does that freak you out a little bit? It's time to learn who you are. It's time to learn that you're the offspring of God himself because you've put faith in Jesus Christ. He made us in his image. Why would we fight that? Why would we downplay that? Why would we create doctrines to discourage people in that? If you're made in the image of God, that means you're like him. We're not trying to steal his glory. We're not being blasphemous. We're actually giving him glory for what he's done. He said, let us make man in our likeness, and he did it. He did it. Boy, did he do it. That's why our free will is so powerful. 
It can set you free or it can kill you, (laughs) depending on how you use it. But God's not going to interfere with your free will. He'll woo you. He'll do everything he can to to, uh, inspire you to pursue him. But you have to decide. God's love is unconditional, but experiencing God is not unconditional. You are the one who decides how much God you're going to experience in your life. No one can decide that for you. Jesus said, if you abide in me, that's a condition, right? And my words abide in you, another condition. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So if I don't abide in him and his words don't abide in me, I can't expect that to happen in my life, right? So I am determined to abide in him. I'm not talking about being perfect, but just to to cultivate a a moment-by-moment awareness of who he is in my life. To go through my day reminding myself, Christ lives in me. The Messiah lives in me. The risen Christ fills me with his spirit. My new life is empowered by the faith of Son of God, faith of the Son of God. He dispenses his life into mine daily. I remind myself of that as I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing. I had to, to snow blow the driveway. A part of it, I had a brother bless me and plowed it with his truck. And then I went out later and just did some other things. But as a, it's a great time. I, to, I like doing things outside or, or because I, can, I, I just meditate on Christ inside of me when I'm working or doing things. Christ is in me. I'm blowing snow and the Holy Spirit is filling me with his life. I love it. Hallelujah. God is good. So God made us in his image. You need to know that. You were made in the image of God. He wants you to know that. You are made in His image to live and think like Him, to walk with Him through each day of your life. He gets glory when you believe Him. This does not dishonor God. It honors God when we appropriate the reality of what He's done for us. So God made man in His image, and whether you believe it or not, God gave man, according to the Scriptures, sovereignty over the earth. He did. Why would we fight these things? Let's just let's learn so we can, we can work this thing. So we can act like Jesus acts in the middle of the situations and circumstances of our lives. So God made man in his own image and he gave man sovereignty over the earth. And God is not, uh, he doesn't give like the world gives. Christmas is the time for giving presents. I hope when you give someone something, you don't expect anything in return. Because that's not how God gives. When God gives something, there are no strings attached. Isn't that wonderful? And I've shared with you before, I didn't grow up like that. When something was given to me, I knew there were some strong strings tied to this thing. And I didn't want it. Even no matter how much I may have wanted the gift, I knew in a week or two, a month, they're going to start pulling on those strings. I said, I wish you never gave me the gift. That's not a gift. That's manipulation. So when we give gifts, we're not expecting anything in return. And what do you do at Christmas time if someone gets a better gift than you? You rejoice, right? Rejoice with them. Right? Someone gets a McLaren, 
for Christmas. Say, hey, thank you, Gene. That's wonderful. I, man, that, let me take a ride in that thing. Right? A new house for Christmas. Whatever it is. Right? And all I got was a box of cheese. That's all right. <laughs> Praise God. Right? What's wrong with cheese? Come on. I like cheese. Woo. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We, we rejoice when people get blessed, right? And if you'll have that attitude, you're opening the door for God to do it in your life. Because you're next. You're next. Why would God put you in the presence of someone getting blessed? Because he wants to do it in your life. Come on. He wants you to see the blessings of others so he can do it in your life. So rejoice when you see someone getting blessed. Because God's saying, look out, here it comes. Hallelujah, next. Hallelujah. So God, he gave man sovereignty and that, it's a done deal. He never took it back, still today. It was given to man. What happened? Through man's sin, Satan stole that sovereignty. And Satan became the god of this world. Man lost everything. Everything that God gave him. Everything. And death entered the human race and all the garbage we see going on in the world is because of that fall. Right? That's how powerful sin is. One sin destroyed everything. And what was the sin? Many teach it was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I believe the first sin was Adam did not exercise his authority over the snake. He was told to dominate, to be in dominion over every living thing. And that living thing came to steal from him, and he stood there and let it happen. You, exercise, you have to exercise God's authority he's given you over the snakes in your life. We tread on snakes. We stomp on their heads. They're under our feet. Hallelujah. So man lost everything and man was powerless to fix it. Man was powerless to regain it. We're talking about God's secret mission. You've got to understand this if you really want to celebrate Christmas. Because God gave the earth to man, only a man could restore it. Because that's how God set it up. That's how he set it up. You can get mad about it or argue about it, but we're not him. He's the only true and living God. He's the beginning and the end. He knows all things. He's perfect wisdom. This is how he set it up. He gave, gave the earth to man. Man lost it. Only man could get it back. So that's kind of a problem because there was no man on earth who could do that. Every man since Adam was cursed, including you and me. Hello. So he had to get a man in the earth that was free from the curse. But if you know anything about the human reproductive system, when, when, when a sperm and an egg join and come together and a human life is formed, it's the blood of the father that determines whose baby that is. And if they have a baby and they don't know who the father is, one of the, 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 most, the surest way to do that is what? Get a blood test done. Blood test on the baby, blood test on the father. Guaranteed. It's got to match or that's not his baby. 
So God said that God knew the only way for that to happen would be through the womb of a virgin. God had to put his seed, his blood, into the womb of a virgin. Come on, we might as well talk about the reality of what happened. You need to understand who you are and where you come from. You're born of the incorruptible seed of God. This is the wonder of Christmas, that, that the Son of Man would be conceived, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin? No, you've got to be kidding me. No, it happened. It happened. How did it happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're celebrating. It was a masterful plan. No man was involved in the creation of Jesus. Jesus as the Son of Man. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus as the Son of God was never created. He always is. But he became a man at that specific point in time. And I know uh, there's a lot of controversy around this. You saying Jesus became a man? Yes. Was he still God? Yes. He didn't stop being God, but the Scriptures teach us that he took on human flesh. God can't do that. God cannot lower himself ever because he's God. He can't do that. You can't expect nuclear power to be a double-A battery. If you do, you're going to get hurt. All right? God is who he is, and he can't change. He's perfect in all his ways. So he had to. He asked his son, it says in Philippians, to empty himself. To empty himself of his godliness if you study the Scriptures, and to be conceived by the power of the Spirit in the womb of a virgin girl who was about to be married. Mary. Powerful. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. We're learning about God's secret mission. His glory in you. That's why Christ came. This describes to us, Romans 5, 17 through 21, the secret mission of God and why Jesus had to come as a man, why God couldn't just step into the realm of earth and fix things. And the same is true today. He can't just step into your life and fix things. You've got to believe him. I mean, there are amazing acts of grace that he does in our lives and we don't even understand or know about it. But if you want to consistently experience him, if you want to grow in the power of his love and freedom, you've got to choose him. You've got to let, uh, you've got to take captive thoughts that are ungodly and kick them out of your mind and you've got to replace them with his word. This is not an option if you want to experience him consistently. I don't know about you, but I, I quit church a long time ago. I did. I quit when I was, I made up my mind, I was probably seven or eight years old. And I said, this is stupid. And I haven't changed my mind. I'm talking about man's religious tradition. The church, the body of Christ, I'm all about that. But that's you. And that's me. That's people with the Spirit of God inside of them. So I, I love gathering together corporately as often as we can. That's what we're doing now. I'm all for that. Hallelujah. I'm all for the real church, and that's you and me, the mighty ones of God. 
the offspring of the Father. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the transgression of the one, who's that? Adam, yeah. Now listen, when you meet Adam in heaven, don't, don't be mad at him. Right? And we've all blown it. Wait till I see him. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a preacher say that Adam's going to have like a, a, a high stone wall around his mansion in heaven so no one can get in to see him. <laughs> yeah, he's got a security system and security guards. There's Adam. Get him. No. <laughs> Through the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through Adam. Why? Because God gave him sovereignty over the world, and God doesn't take it back. Much more, though, you've got to go to the good news, much more, more than, than this, the, this, the destruction of sin, much more, a whole lot more, more than we can measure, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, it's a gift, you can't earn it. If you could earn it, it's not a gift. If I give you something on Christmas and then I give you a bill the next week, it wasn't a gift. Right? I hope you're not going to do that to anybody. <laughs> the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Our sovereignty is restored through the abundance of His grace and the gift of his righteousness. Did he just say that we're sovereign? Keep it in context. God is the sovereign Lord. He's above all. But he has given us sovereignty over our lives. So we live under his sovereignty, right? And we exercise the sovereignty he's given us in our daily lives. Don't be afraid of that word. Understand it so that you can work it. We need a working knowledge of what God's done for us in our lives, not a theory. Theories don't work against the devil. That's why he promotes so many of them. What Jesus did for you is not a theory, it's reality. Practice it, apply it, declare it, exercise it, it's yours. Verse 18, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, who's that? Yeah, Jesus on the cross, right? There resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, we're talking about the secret mission. The many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of Jesus going to that cross, the many will be made righteous. That's you and me. Verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. In other words, so that people would realize how desperately we needed Him. Sin can make you arrogant. You can have all kinds of swag and attitude and be totally lost. We need something to wake us up, make us realize that we can't inhale without God's grace. 
So that's why the law, that's what the law was for. It came because of man's arrogance and rejection of God. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I remind myself of that when I see the things that are going on in the world. The worse it gets, the more grace abounds. The brighter we shine. Right? The more hope we have. Hallelujah. With every bad news story, our hope grows. Huh? Come on. With every dark report, our light shines brighter. Come on. This is who we are. Hallelujah. We're bright lights. We're shining stars in a fallen world. Hallelujah. Luminaries of Jesus Christ. Woo! This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yeah. Hallelujah. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned, ruled over mankind, had dominion over mankind in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You understand that we didn't become sinners because we committed sin. We became sinners because we were born under the curse of Adam's sin. We committed sin because we had the nature of sin. You didn't become a sinner when you did your first sin. You were born with that nature. Now, children are, are justified before God. Children belong to God. Uh, if a child were to die, he'd be immediately in the presence of God. Why? Because they, they, they don't understand these things. I mean, it's amazing. I remember we first moved to New England. We had uh, people living in, we lived in a, a second story of a home in, uh, in Newport. And on the first story, there was a family there and and the, the wife had just had a baby, and she was told, go get that baby baptized right away. You never, in case something happens. What a, what a dark way to think. In other words, they're thinking that baby needs to have water poured on its head, so if it dies, it'll go to heaven. What kind of a God would, would do that? Let's be real. The, oh, you, you didn't get water poured on you. Sorry, kid. To hell you go. Doesn't it sound silly when you really expose it for what it is? Straight to hell with you, baby. Your head's not wet. No, Jesus taught us the kingdom of God belongs to the children. There comes a point when we reach an age of accountability, when we understand God's love for us, what he did for us through Christ, when we understand what sin is, when we can make a, a real decision a knowledgeable, mature decision, then we are accountable for our actions. And that's a different age for everybody. There's some people that reach that age before others do. Everybody's different. We have different personalities. Don't, don't go around condemning and holding people up to your own standard. Let people experience the grace of God. You have to have a knowledge of God's love for you before you can make that decision. Oh, I never said that before. I don't think. I'm not seeing it. I've never seen it like I just saw. You have to have a knowledge of God's love for you before you can make a, a, a true decision to reject Him. Many who think they've rejected God really haven't. What they've rejected is man's religion. 
So if that's you, come on back. Not to man's religion, but to the one who loves you. When you realize how much you love you, there's no reason to reject him. <laughs> who would reject perfect love? Nobody. I like how Weymouth says verse 17. The Weymouth translation says, For if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. Satan stole it. That, that's, that makes it real clear, doesn't it? He took advantage of, of Adam. All the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. The Phillips New Testament. Brother Phillips, New Testament. <laughs> For if one man's offense meant that man should be slaves to death all their lives, and that's exactly what we were, it is a far greater thing that through another man, Jesus Christ, men by their acceptance of his more than sufficient grace, how can they accept it if they don't know about it? How are they going to know about it if we don't tell them? We have to tell them about the grace of God. We're saved by grace, not by our religious doctrine. That's right. How, how, how damning man's religious tradition is. It doesn't tell them about the grace of God and then condemns them for not receiving it. Huh? <laughs> that through another man, Jesus Christ, men by their acceptance of His more than sufficient grace and righteousness should live all their lives like kings. Amen. Christmas is about you being a king. Amen. Your Highness, nice to meet you. The Passion Translation says, Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, that's my favorite but right there. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace? You're more secure in the grace of God now than you were in the bondage of sin then. The power of God's grace over your life is infinitely more powerful than the bondage of any addiction that you were in before. How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom? through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and the only Jesus, the Messiah. This is why God asked His Son to become man. This is why we're celebrating Christmas. Satan thought, 
Satan was tracking the prophecies. He was. He had a, a, a team of demons, uh, probably a department that was totally devoted to tracking prophecy. They were trying to pinpoint when this Messiah would come into the earth, but he missed, he, he, he didn't fully understand why he was coming. Even at, when the baby was born, he, he was trying to find him, trying to track him. He couldn't find him, so he influenced the ruler of that region to kill every male child. Two years and under. He, was try, he thought if he could kill the Messiah, he would still be reigning over the earth. He would still have man in his grasp and in his bondage. So Satan thought if he could kill Jesus, he would win. That he would continue uh, reigning over mankind's lives. But what he didn't understand is God's love for mankind. Love doesn't make sense to Satan. It doesn't. Satan is all about eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You did this to me, I'm going to do that to you, I'm going to do you one better. That's how Satan thinks. You, you treat me bad, I'm going to treat you worse. Satan doesn't understand God's love. God's love is you treat me bad, I'm going to bless you. You hurt me, I'm going to love you. You steal from me, I'm going to, I'm going to deposit some money in your account. You take my coat, I'm going to give you a brand new suit. You see, Satan can't understand this. The world can't understand this. But boy, when you give it to someone, it changes their lives. This is the love that's in us. This is why our relationships are successful if we walk in the love of God. We're not in relationships with people uh, keeping track of how they treat us. In fact, we take no account of evil done to us. Is that in the Bible? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Find it. I'm not telling you where that's at. You find it. We keep no record of wrongs. That's one thing I don't like about Santa. He's got a naughty list. That's not the love of Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a naughty list. You know that, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. There will come an age when this is said and done, the church is raptured. And Jesus returns, and those who have rejected him will be accountable. But we are in the age of his grace right now. Anyone can receive him at any moment in time through simple faith. It will not always be this way. There has to come an end to this. God is so patient and so kind. But ultimately, justice must be met. And we have to put an end to this thing. And that end is coming. Glory to God for that. But we want as many as possible to hear of the goodness and grace and love of God so that as many as possible can grab a hold of it, receive it, and enjoy it, right? That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do each and every week. And while we're at it, I want to give a shout-out to this highway team who all throughout this overreaction of government, all throughout this year has come together so you could have a weekly impartation by the Spirit and Word of God. We haven't missed a service. Glory to God. That takes faith. I want to tell you that right now. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness in 2020. 
Hallelujah. When fear was running wild, pressure is on to not do this and not do that, we decided we're going to go forward. There was a period of time where we had uh, service by video only as we were just navigating this thing, but then we came back. And I'm telling you, God is so good. God is so good and so faithful. And we're moving forward and we're prospering. Hallelujah. So let's look at the, the little, let's get into this secret plan a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So Satan doesn't understand this love of God. It's a love of God that never quits, that cannot be exhausted, that is always on for you. And that makes no sense to Satan. He thinks God should blow you away. God should blast you out of the water, that God should nail you to to a cross, that God should put you in prison for your sin. What he doesn't understand is God made Jesus your sin. That makes no sense to the devil. He couldn't have figured that one out in a million years because his thinking is corrupt. He's damaged. He's brain damaged. With darkness and evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, however, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom. Talking about God's secret plan. What we're celebrating at Christmas. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age. You can't find this in an Ivy League school. Nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Who's it as a mystery to? Darkness. Spirits of darkness, Satan. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Not His. God wants you to be glorified. I know that rocks your religious world, but it's true. God wants you to be lifted up. You can't take any glory from Him. He's the giver of glory. And He has glory for you. He wants to exalt you, to lift you up, to make you whole, to strengthen you. For our glory, the Scripture says, verse 7, there's nothing arrogant about the glory that God has for you. Not talking about arrogance or conceit or vanity. Talking about a realization of who He is and what He's done for you. Hallelujah. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. None. Perfect strategy. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Religion slams the door after that verse, but you got to keep reading. But God has revealed them to us, the glorious things that He accomplished for us through His Son. He's revealed them to us 
through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Satan never imagined in his wildest dreams. I'm sorry, what did I do? What were you saying? Oh, verse 10. That's all. Let's keep going. He never imagined in his wildest dreams that God the Father would make his Son accountable for our issues. That God the Father would make Jesus my sin and your sin, and because of that, He would freely give you His righteousness. That will never compute with Satan. That will never make sense to him. He never could imagine that God would save us by Grace, he doesn't understand grace because you can't earn grace. It's something that, that, that springs from love, not based on anything you've done. And that is so foreign to Satan and all of his demons. He never could have imagined that God would save us by grace. He could have thought maybe God would, would save us based on some type of merit system, but he knew he couldn't meet that. Through simple faith. He never could imagine that just through faith in Christ, a human being could be made new. Never would imagine it. He never would have imagined that through simple faith in Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead would begin living in that person. Never could have imagined it. He never could have imagined that through faith in Christ, God would fill us with His glory. <sighs> never could have imagined that. He never could have imagined that through simple faith in Christ, the very glory of God, which has been from the foundation of eternity, would be manifest in our daily lives. We are a people born of the glory of God. We are children of glory. He never could have imagined that Jesus was only the first born from among the dead. But after him would come many, 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 many. Many, 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 many. If I was on the drums right now, I'd start playing and be many more. If I had an organ, I'd start playing the organ. Our last verse, Colossians chapter 1. We'll close with this, Colossians chapter 1. You've got to know that the glory of God is in you now. Not when you get your act together, when you believe. Did you hear what I said? If you believe in Jesus, the glory of God's in you now. Not when you get your life together. It's in you now. Because of Jesus. It's not based on how many things you need to fix. It's based on what He did for you. The glory of God abides in you now. The glory of God's upon you now. The glory of God is in you now. 
Colossians 1, verse 25. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but we're not in that place anymore. The mystery now is made manifest to His people. The saint is someone who believes in Jesus, not a statue, but now is made manifest to His believing ones. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you've got to understand that word hope. Remember we read last week, I think it was, Abraham said, in hope, against hope. There are two kinds of hope. There's the hope of the flesh, the hope of the world, which is like wishing. Like keeping it across your fingers. Superstition. But the hope that the Bible speaks of here is unshakable confidence and certainty. You've got to understand that. So read this Scripture right. That we... God has made known to us the riches of His glory, which is Christ in us, and now we have an unshakable confidence that we will daily experience that glory because it was given to us through Christ. We are confident daily that God's glory will show up in our lives. We are confident daily that the glory of the Father will change things in our lives. We are confident daily that the manifest presence of God will move in our lives, will transform our lives and the lives of those around us. This is the accomplishment. This was what God's secret mission was all about. That His very presence would be in you, working in you, uh, exercising in you, manifest in you, not only for you, but for those you come in contact with. This is why I call Jesus Agent 007. This Christmas season, we're celebrating that the success of the greatest secret mission by the greatest secret agent ever. And the fulfillment of that mission is God's glory in you now. God's glory is in you now. What are we talking about? The glory of God. It's the glory of God that raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the glory of God that makes blind eyes see. It's the glory of God that raised the widow's son. It's the glory of God that healed Naaman the leper. It's the glory of God that brought down the walls of Jericho. It's the glory of God that enabled them to walk through a sea on dry ground. It's the glory of God that brought forth fresh water out of a rock. It's the glory of God that made the lame walk and the maimed hole and the blind see. It's the same, the very same glory that's in you today. It's the very same glory that's in 
in you today. It's the very same glory. Hallelujah. The raised from the dead healed the sick. Open the eyes blind. Glory of God is abiding in you today. And it will abide in you for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your glory abiding in us. For your glory manifest in us. For you raise the dead, break the bondage of sin, heal the sick glory abiding in us. And we rejoice in the guarantee of experiencing your glory every day of our lives for the rest of our lives. And this is why we celebrate during this Christmas season. It all is, is ours because of your Son and the gift of his life for us. Thank you, Father, for Christ in us, the guarantee of your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.